Awesome. Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Kings tonight. Uh, if you want to pull out the app and hit, hit that Bible icon, it'll take you right there. It's also in the notes section or your bulletin. There's like no excuse not to read the Word tonight. Uh, we've got it at all different platforms. And the, the, I wanted to start by talking about commitments. Has anybody ever committed to something? And then at a certain point, once you get into that something, you realize how hard it is. And then you've broke that commitment and changed your mind. Anybody? Everybody? That's something, right? Little things, big things. Okay, how about if I change it? Like, has anybody ever made a commitment and then got into that thing and you realized how hard it is and then persevered and still made that commitment? If you're, if you're married, yes, right? Like, my mom's here tonight. She raises both hands to marry to my dad, right? For, uh, she, 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 has, uh, she has a high pain tolerance, right? Um, I experienced this last Wednesday. Last Wednesday, me and several of the staff, we did a fast together, uh, kind of aligning with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And uh, it was a, a strict fast, one day a year, 24-hour fast, no water, no food, uh, no work, no kissing, right? Jen's favorite day of the year. Right. And, um, you know, it, I don't know if you go without water. It's it's pretty challenging. But the bonehead me- move I made was the day before. I didn't even drink water. I had like soda and stupid stuff. Right. Maybe some tea, which might count a little bit. But anyway, but I'm, I'm powering through. And at about 11 o'clock, Jen goes to get Luke out of preschool and brings him. We're at Shawnee Mission Park, kind of hanging out around that big tall tower. Anybody ever been out there? And, I, and Luke gets there and I go, hey, you want to go to the tower? He's like, yeah, of course he does. He's four. Right. So we walk up the tower, stay up there just a little bit because I hate heights. I'm like standing in the middle. I'm not getting around anything, you know. And Luke's, he's actually not any more brave than I am. And so we go down and we start going down. My legs just start cramping. Like, it's like I'm super old, but I'm not. And I'm guessing, I think this is because I don't have any water. Like, I could hardly move my legs. And when I got down to the bottom of that tower, I said this, I think God would be okay if I had some water. And I begin to try to talk myself into why it would be okay to break this commitment that I made to God. Now, this is not the first time I've had these kind of conversations. It's not the first time I've done a fast and been tempted to break it. But I found myself sitting outside on this beautiful day having this conversation of why it would be okay from God's perspective if I broke this commitment that I made to Him. And then I was reminded of some things. God didn't ask me to do this, this, that commitment. Jesus is our atonement. All of those things that uh, were required way back, specifically for the people that we're talking about today, way back in the Old Testament, Christ has fulfilled that. He is our perfect atonement on the cross, the resurrection. And so that fulfillment's been made. I was just observing something that was a huge part of the history of the church. I told God, hey, I would do this. God didn't say, Matt, you better. And I was like, I can't break this. My legs are just going to have to hurt. Tonight, we're going to talk about what happens when commitments get broken. And at the end, what kind of commitment might you be able to make to the Lord? An intentional commitment. And so if you would, we're going to be in 1 Kings. And here is the context. You caught it from that video a little bit. Solomon has died prior to his death. God has told Solomon, because of the way that you behaved, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you. It's Right now, it's one kingdom the nation of Israel, but I'm going to make it into two kingdoms, the northern part, which is the majority of the tribes, and then one solitary tribe, Judah, down at the southern end. So two two tribes now. And so first and second kings and first and second chronicles are almost mirrored uh, books in the Bible. They're both historical accounts of the kings and their reigns and their kingdoms. And it gets kind of confusing because both books talk about the northern tribes, Israel, and the southern tribes, Judah, and they kind of ping-pong back and forth. And so as you're reading them, you can get very confused. 
Tonight's lesson starts with the separation of the two tribes. Solomon has passed away. His son Rehoboam is now the king of Israel. And the people come to him and they say, We need you. We're asking you to please let up on us. For your father's entire reign, he has built the temple and all of these other beautiful buildings off of our backs. Would you please give us a little bit of a break? Let let up on us. And so uh, uh, Rehoboam pulls in some elders gets their feedback. They say, man, you should listen to the people. If you do what they ask you to do, they will always serve you. They will always follow you. Then he pulls in his peers, the young men similar to his age. And they say, dude, you, you cannot let up now. You got to push in even harder or these people will never respect you. And so he's got this council. He has told the people who have come and requested this, give me three days. And so this is where we find ourselves in chapter 12, verse 12. Three days later, Jeroboam, who was the leader of the people, and all of the people returned to Rehoboam, who's the king. As the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord, to fulfill the the word of the Lord. Carry on a little bit. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king this way. What share do we have in David? Talking about King David, his, his, great, his, great grand, or his grandfather, in what part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. And what they're saying is, we're going home. You're no longer our king. Have fun. Have a ball. We're out of here. And all of these tribes leave Judah which is in Jerusalem, where the temple was, where all the places that God had prescribed for worship. I mean, it was a central, central, central place for the Jewish people. And they say, we're leaving. The way God had designed certain festivals, at least three times a year, no matter where you lived in Israel, you had to come to Jerusalem for specific worship times. And they're like, we're out of here, we're gone. And when they do that, Rehoboam takes over the first, and takes over the southern kingdom, and Jeroboam takes over the northern kingdoms. And now there's civil war. There's frustration. I want to bring your attention to one quick thing in this scripture. When this happens, notice this. It says, um, for this turn of events was from the Lord. That's an interesting statement. And you see this. I'm not going to say you see this often in scripture, but you see it it quite a bit. This, This idea that this was from the Lord. Like God has his upper story going, and it's not going to change. Because look, if you, if you will notice just a little bit further on, when the kingdoms divide, now the southern kingdom is mad at the northern tribes for leaving, and so they're going to have a civil war. They're going to go, and they're going to fight and kill their brothers and sisters who have abandoned them. And as they're preparing for this, they get this word through a prophet. It says, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up and fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. And the reason I want to bring that up is because there's a lot, there's a hot topic in our culture, in our culture about deals that are being made with other countries. And, and we're in an interesting time. Tonight, there's a lot of people talking about the blood moon that's going to happen tonight, right? It's, it's going to, you ought to go out and see it. It's not going to be another one like this, a super moon for 33 years. So kind of do the math in your age. If you don't think you're going to be here, you better see it tonight, right? Um, you're not going to see it again. But it's going to be a cool, but there's a lot of speculation. A lot, a lot of people are worried and afraid because of the this, this super blood moon. Is this the end of the world? 
You know, there's a church planting network out there called Acts 29. And the reason they're called Acts 29 because Acts is the story of how the church got going. But the last chapter of Acts is Acts chapter 28. So Acts chapter, I mean, Acts 29, this network is about what the church does in this, in this period before Revelations kind of takes off. Like we're in this season of waiting for Christ to return. And so if you want to go out and see that tonight and, and say, hey, I saw that, that last big blood moon, that would be a good thing. But because of all of this stuff, and there is this, I don't know if you guys have heard on the news, but there was this deal struck with Iran. Did you guys hear about that? Yes, I hope you've heard of that. And you may have differing opinions on it. It doesn't matter. But I know there are a lot of people who are angry about that. They're just as angry about that deal as the southern kingdom was the northern kingdom for, for abandoning them and, and dividing the country. And I, that's why I find it so curious that this says, for this is my doing. There are things in my life sometimes that the only way that I can reconcile them is to say, you know what, I don't get it, but this is just God's plan. The only reason that it makes sense in my mind is because God is, con- is continuing his upper story to get to his, uh, get it, to get to his outcome of where he sees the world going. And I know we all want rainbows and beautiful things and life to be super, super easy. But the more I read of the story, what I read is that for the people of God, it will get harder before it gets better. And so if we're waiting, if you're waiting for things to get better, right, I, I think you're going to find yourself waiting for a while. What you might notice is it gets more challenging. And that's a little bit of what I want to share tonight. Here's a mistake that Rehoboam makes. And I used this picture last week. And I want to refer to it again tonight. And it's, some, it's directions, relational directions that are, I think are very important in your life. Last week I talked about God being the first direction that is so critical to you. The, the, how God speaks into your life. And then the second thing, and once that happens, it impacts every area of your life. But the next stop would be your family. Like if you're so quick to bypass your family and invest in other people, even lost folks or church folks, but you bypass your family, you're really missing a key thing. So how does God impact what you do with your family? But then the next move would be, who are the Pauls in your life? And these are the people who are further along than you are. They know a little bit more about spiritual things, because I'm, I'm using the spiritual context right now. And they're able to disciple you along to the outcome that God is looking for in your life. Who are those people that you're giving the space to speak into your life? Then the other direction, you have Timothys. Who are you investing in? Who are you speaking into? Who are you giving your life to? And as you have God and your family and your Pauls and your Timothys in your life, they influence how you go about and what you say and how you interact with people who are far from God. And God brings people into your life who are far from him. You work with them. They live on your street. You meet them in different places. And if you avoid the other relationships, God, family, Paul, and Timothy, and you just go straight to the evangelistic direction, listen, that person is not getting the best of you. And they're probably not getting the best representation of the gospel because nobody's speaking it into your life, specifically God. And you're not going to be able to process out what you want to communicate or say. Here's what Rehoboam did. Rehoboam heard from the Pauls, but he listened to his Timothys. He listened to those who had very little experience in the things they were talking about. And because of that, if you want to fill in the blank, this is where the kingdom split. This is where the kingdom becomes divided because of who he chose to listen to. So now you have two divided kingdoms, and Jeroboam is the leader of the north. But he gets nervous, and he gets nervous because it's coming time to worship, and all of these people are getting geared up to go down to Jerusalem to worship, and he is afraid. Look what it says in 1 Kings 12, 25 through 33. Jeroboam thought to himself, which is scary. You never should think to yourself. The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David if these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They will again give their allegiance to the Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and, re- and return to King Rehoboam. So like what's divided, he's afraid he's going to come back together. 
After seeking advice, I would love to know who he talked to, because after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. Now, I know you might not know a ton about Bible stuff, but does this ever sound wise to you to make idols as a Christ follower? Eh, No, that's never a good thing. The last time this happened was when Moses was up on the mountain of Sinai, and the people got distracted and wanted Aaron to do something. So Aaron took the gold literally off their bodies and made two calves, and man, did it make God angry. Well, Jeroboam does the same thing here. And look what he says. He says, after seeking advice, he made the gaps, and he said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods. Basically, stay here. You don't have to go so far. You can stay right here. You can worship from the convenience of your home. You don't have to make that long trek. He said to the people, it is too much you brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. Jeroboam then built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. There was a certain tribe, the Levites, that God said, this is the only tribe that the priests can come from. Jeroboam goes, well, we don't have to worry about that. Does anybody want to be a priest? Does anybody want to do this? Just raise your hand. Okay, you're, you're in, you're in, you're in. And he was just kind of calling them. And then he went on and he says, um, He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, the month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar of the... You just see what he's doing? He's making it easier first for the people. You don't have to go down there and worship. You can do it so much easier. You don't have to go near as far. You can do it right here. And then he gets even further. He says, oh, and I'm going to create these high places. I'm going to find big trees with lots of shade that are elevated. And at those places, I'm going to uh, provide places of you to, for you to worship. And we'll talk about what type of worship in a little bit. And then even more than that, uh, I'm going to uh, add to the calendar that God's given us uh, festivals that are of my own making. And he, he just starts with these little things and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and this is kind of what I was thinking about as I was reading this passage. Like, what does this mean for us today? Like, because the truth is this, if I gave a pop quiz with myself included about the old festivals of, of, of Israel and whatnot, we would probably all fail it. Tom there in the back, he may pass it because he loves that sort of thing. But most of us, we don't have a lot of experience on those festivals and how Israel went about all their sacrificing and worship. So what in the world does this have to do with the church in 2015? Here's how I think. I kind of was journaling this. and I want to kind of let you think on it a little bit. I wrote this. Following God's ways is not always the most convenient option. The right option must not be determined by what seems easy or by what seems difficult, but rather by the words and actions of Jesus Christ. A lot of times when we don't have an understanding of spiritual things, we allow our mind, we think to ourselves what we think God would consider spiritual. And depending on how you're wired, I think you will go one of two ways. You will go the way where I tend to fall, where if it's not hard, it's not spiritual. Right? Like, man, this is just too easy. Like, if I'm, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm sweating enough. I don't feel like I'm, I, I'm trying hard enough. This just seems way too easy, so it must not be spiritual. So, God, you better make it harder for me because then I will feel more spiritual. The other extreme would be those who just love to dance with Jesus. You know, if it's hard, it's not of God. God's all grace. It's, it's beautiful. You know, I can do whatever I want, and God's okay with it as long as my heart's in the right place. But neither of those are accurate. Our feelings must not be the the thing that determines our worship or our spirituality, but rather, catch this, but rather what Jesus said and did. 
And again, this is why discipleship, and Pastor Chris and myself, we talk about this all the time. This is why discipleship is so important because the truth is no one has it completely figured out. So we must lean on Paul's in our life, people who are further along than us, who pull us along in the, in the attitude of spiritual things. And if you go, oh, no, 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 Matt, I got it figured out. Listen, that kind of attitude scares the snot out of me because that's complete pride. And if you're like, oh, I don't need a Paul, that scares me because you're saying I don't have anything to learn. Now, listen, we all have something to learn when it comes to discipleship. And it's not about age. It's about spiritual maturity. Who's pulling me in the right direction in the things of God? So when you think about it, if you were to just simply process spirituality through your brain and through your attitude, where would you fall? That if it's, if, it's, if it's not hard, then it's not of God. Or if it's, if it's not easy, it's not of God. And then how do you put that at the foot of the cross through the word of Scripture? What does Jesus say about my spirituality? What does Jesus say about who I am? The other thing that Jer- uh, Jeroboam did was he established these high places. I mentioned two last week. I want to remind us of those two, and I want to provide a third. A high place number one is this in today's time, is the thing that you don't think matters. And these are so sneaky. There are things in our life that you simply don't think matter. And because you don't think they matter, they don't, you don't give any weight to them. You don't give any thought to them. You think that conversation with that person who's not your spouse is not a big deal? And although you know in your heart that you're flirting, you just, ah, oh, just, oh, just a friendship. You don't think that TV show's a big deal? You don't think that station you listen to is a big deal? You don't think that book's a big deal? You don't think that conversation's a big deal? You don't think sleeping in a little bit more is a big deal? Like you just have these things in your life where you're like, oh, come on, it's just really not a big deal. It just doesn't matter. But yet it's those little things, those high places that are up out of the way that you don't think are significant, that you don't think will carry much weight, will eventually bite you in the butt and destroy your life. Now, not right away, because the enemy's smarter than that. The enemy is too smart. He is not going to send some blaring, clearly evil thing your way for you to engage in, because you're smarter than that too. You're going to get away from that. You're going to run from that thing. Oh, but if he can get you with something that just doesn't matter... If he can get you to stay just a little bit longer in a situation that you don't think matters, sooner or later, you'll find yourself in something and you'll be like, how in the world did I get here? How did I get in this much debt? How did I get in this much relational trouble? How did I get here? Well, here's how. Too many times you said, all this doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, it matters. The second high place would be this. Doing the right thing in the wrong places. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship, Jeroboam said. You can do it right here. How often in our spiritual life do we, the one I, the one I use today, and it's kind of weird because you're all here, so I'm kind of like preaching to the choir, but it's folks that oftentimes fall into the, the trap of, oh, I can worship from home. I love TV preachers, most of them. I love listening to podcasts on TV, but those things can't replace the church. There is something about gathering with people who are pursuing Jesus together that is super beneficial to your life. Like being part of, not a place where you just go, oh, I go to church there, it's where I worship and then go home. I'm talking about belonging somewhere. Like when Mark and Mary walk in the room for somebody to know their name, to know that they had an anniversary, to, to be able to engage and to celebrate and ask questions and those sorts of things. Like being part of a church body is critical to your spiritual journey. That's why we do these family, uh, these community meals on Sunday after Sunday service. It's important, although you may, be able to have, you may be able to go do other things in other places to slow down and sit across a, a plastic table with somebody that you don't yet know very well and simply share a meal as you share your life. And we get to, like, I've got to know Paula because of Tuesday Night Story Groups. You, you can't get that kind of thing just by, oh, I will just download it. Like if you said, hey, Matt, great, thanks for the app. Now I can just watch you and Chris and the other pastors. I don't have to go to church anymore. I will delete the app. I'll disband the app. 
Because the app is not church. The app is a tool for the church to learn up and to grow with one another. Does that make sense a little bit? The third high place would be this. Doing the right thing or the right thing done the wrong way. This is a new one. Doing the right thing the wrong way. He is going to create a festival like the one in Jerusalem. He's going to do things like, right? I'm going to do it. It's not exactly, but it's similar. And the way that I've kind of used this morning as an illustration and this afternoon I'll use it again is when it comes to our resources, the, our money. I think a way that people miss this is in their finances. Like they think they're worshiping God with their giving, but the truth is they're trying to do the right thing the wrong way. In my opinion, the Bible is very clear and specific about the tithe. It's, it's the percentage that God uses. It's Old Testament. It's New Testament. But yet we take that... And it, sometimes it doesn't feel right for us, right? And there's a kajillion reasons why. We could go around the list because nobody starts out tithing. It's something that you have to grow into. It's where you begin to trust God with your resources. And we all have reasons maybe why we haven't started or uh, what, how we got here in our tithe or whatever it might be. But I see and I hear these stories about how people are trying to be generous and they have, they're on the right pathway, but they're just doing it the wrong way. And they take their tithe, and the Bible's specific about where the tithe goes. It says it goes back to your storehouse. In our context, it will be to your place of worship. It doesn't go all the other places, your tithe. Now, one, you've got to say, well, Matt, what, what do you mean by tithe? We have people, and we've had people in the past that don't understand what the tithe is. They think the tithe is your giving. It is giving, but it's a very specific sort of gift. The tithe means 10%. Had a person one time who asked me, this is several years ago, said, hey, could you give me what my tithe was because I need to go to my, my accountant for my taxes? And I said, sure. The tithe amount was $40 for the year. Now, either the person only made $400 that year, or they have no idea what the tithe means. And it's option B, because I know they made more than $400. A tithe is 10%, meaning if you make $10,000 this week, then $1,000 of it is a tithe. If you make $100, then $10 is the tithe. And anything less than that, like 9 point nine, is not the tithe. And so, it's, it's one, it's understanding what exactly is the tithe in my life. And then what am I to do with it? I believe the scriptures say you bring that to your storehouse. You're like, well, hang on, Matt. You're just after my money. I'm not after your money. Because here's the thing. I'm not going to force anybody in this room to do what I just said. I'm not going to force you. Well, I can't trust you with our money. That's fine. I would encourage you to find a church body that you can trust with your tithe. And here's why. You're trying to do the right thing the wrong way. How would I say it? You're not completely trusting God. It's like you're kind of trusting God, but you're not trusting God with what he said to do. It's like, oh, but I don't have to go to Jerusalem to do that. And I would say lean in. Just test God. Just test God with your resources to see what he might do. If you were to give your tithe to this church or any church, and that church was to completely go and waste your money, it is not your fault. It's not your fault. If I were to take your money, not that I can take your money. We have a lot of, whatever you call it, uh, structures in place. But if I could take your money and blow it, can I tell you something? It's not on you. God would hold me accountable for that sin. He wouldn't hold you accountable for giving it. Now, somebody said, well, no, I could go into all day what people say. Here's what I would ask you to do. I'm not asking you to take my word for it, but I would ask you to hear what I'm saying, and then you do your own Bible study research and see what God is saying to you about that thing. Because I'll tell you this, I know the one thing that is common to everybody in this room, I don't care how wealthy you are, money is an issue for everyone in this room. It's a, like we are a church made up of, typically average Joe and Jane people. 
And if you're not smart with your resources, if you're not starting in that smart thinking with your resources of trusting God first, you are going to find yourself in a financial pickle. Trust God with what you got. Uh, This morning, one of the thoughts was, uh, what did Jesus really talk about the tithe? I would say, yes, he did. But to chase that debate, I would say, you're right. Maybe Jesus doesn't talk about the tithe. Jesus doesn't say he wants 10%. What does Jesus say he wants? Everything. So you can pick. You can give everything or 10%, right? You can make that decision. I would say, man, listen, listen to what God has to say in your life and, and begin to trust him with your finances. If God lets you down, we're doing something fun next month. For the next 90 days, we'll talk about it more next week. But starting next weekend for 90 days, we're going to say this. If you would commit for the next 90 days to give a tithe, a clear, straight-up tithe, at the end of that 90 days, if you don't feel like God has clearly blessed you, tangibly or intangibly, like if there's something that you can't point to and say, wow, I did this like the Scriptures say, and look what God did, like if you can't say that, we will give you back 100% of your giving. I promise you, we'll give it all back. We won't put it on thing. We gave back Chris's money. We're not going to do that. It'll be super private. Nobody will know but uh, you and the finance team. Here's what I think you would find out. The same thing I found out in a lot of the other areas of my life. You can simply trust Jesus. And you can trust God, even with dead presidents. I think. Here we go. First Kings 14. And you know what? I, there were some amens. Mark amen. I'm an ameniner. Bill Cobb is an ameniner in that. I will be a Paul for you in this area. You go, Matt, do you do this? Absolutely. Someone asked earlier, my wife and I, we are definitely tithers. We have been since we got married. And that's why I don't get up here and I'm, I'm, I'm weird on talking about it because I know Jesus works. And I, I will be happy to do this. My mom and dad, my mom's here. They started tithing late in life. I got to hear their testimony when I was in my 20s about what God drastically changed in their life when they became faithful with their money. Listen, I will be more than happy, and I'll get you in touch with these, these families back here. We're not trying to give you no sales pitch. I'm just trying to help you figure it out. Let's continue on. First Kings chapter 14. That's been the north, right? Jeroboam, he's just doing terrible things. So surely the guys in the south, they're better, right? Oh, surely Rehoboam, Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, surely his boys got it figured out. Check this out. In King Solomon's reign for 40-something years, he has complete peace with other nations. Rehoboam is in charge, and in five years into his reign, he gets attacked by Egypt. And it says this, They took away the treasures of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He took everything, this king from Egypt, including all the golden shields that Solomon had made. King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them. What is the connection? What is the transferable principle in this for us? When Rehoboam was robbed and defeated in battle, instead of repenting and saying, Oh my gosh, God, I have gotten so far from how my ancestor David had reigned, and I've got so many idols in place, I am going to repent of my ways and of my practices. Instead of doing that, what does he do? He builds bronze shields. He tries to pretend that everything is exactly the same. I mean, somebody literally comes into the Lord's temple and robs every precious thing that they have in there. And instead of repenting, instead of saying, whoa, God has removed his protection, I need to kind of seek the Lord on this deal, what does he do? He replaces it with bronze. If you'd like to fill in blanks, this is kind of cool. Gold always equals, the, in Scripture, the purity of God. Bronze represents the strength of man. Gold, the purity of God. Bronze, the strength of man. And so it's this idea. In your life... Things begin to fall apart and things begin to go missing. You begin to lose the most pro- the precious things in your life. And what do you do? 
Instead of repenting and falling on your face and saying, oh my gosh, God, I am so sorry uh, for how I have acted and what I've been doing. Instead, what do you do? You hunker down and you flex those spiritual muscles and those physical muscles and you show the world how tough you are. And yeah, you don't have gold uh, shields anymore, but what do you do? I'm going to show you my bronze shields and I'm going to pretend they're gold shields and I'm going to hold them up and I'm going to show you I can do this and it's your own strength and it's your own might. But here's the deal. There ain't a person in this room that can't tell the difference between bronze and gold. I guarantee you an Olympian knows it. You think that third-place Olympian knows the difference between a first-place gold place? They don't put the silver in the middle because they can't distinguish the two. They know. You know, and I know. We know, and we can see as a group collectively when people who are falling apart come in and say, oh, I got this. And they begin to tell their story, and their complete world's falling apart. Everything they love is coming, crashing down, but yet they stand with their chest up high, and I mean, their chest out big, and their head up high, saying, oh, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay. I'm going to make it through this. Listen, that is bronze shield. Huh, BS. That's what it is. You, you, you're, listen, there comes a time to repent and say, whoa, whoa, you mean that I can be off in my spiritual walk? You mean that I can get out of line with God, and God could remove his hand of favor on my life? Absolutely. And you can repent and allow God to begin to restore your life. Or you can say, no, 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 I got this. I got this. And you can stand guard with your bronze shield and try to fool everybody. But any Paul that you let in your life, any family you let in your life, any Timothy that you speak to, we're going to see it. We're going to see the bronze shield. And now listen, you ain't near as strong as you, ought, as you think you are. What about you? Man, isn't it fun to win with the Lord? And isn't it stinky when we have to repent? And repent is not, oh, I'm sorry. That's not repent. Repent is, Lord, I agree with you that what I did was evil, and I'm changing my ways. Repentance is not, sorry, do it again. Sorry, do it again. Sorry, do it again. That's called being a teenager. That's what a teenager does, right? Yeah, sorry. I don't know. My opinions. But you know I'm right. I love this. First Kings chapter 15. I love this. Talked about commitment at the very beginning. Notice this. Asa, this is so rare. You rarely read this in Kings and Chronicles. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Here's where you gasp. <gasps> what? There's actually a king who's going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord? Asa did. Just as his father David had done. Here's what's interesting. I think that wording is cool because David was not Asa's father. David was Asa's great, great, great grandfather. Asa had to look back four generations to see what it looked like to live for God. And I don't know what is so in your family. I don't know when you look at your family tree, if you have to look back way, 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 way back to see somebody spiritual. And if so, here would be my charge to you. You be the Asa type in your family. You be the one that the next generation that your kids and your nephews and all of these people in your life that look up to you, you be the one they point to and it says, hey, it started with them. It started with him. It started with her for my family to start to walk with the Lord. That you be an Asa type. Look, look what Asa did. It says that he expelled the male shrine prostitutes. Here's what he does. He cleans the land of all this pagan stuff. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. But you know what he's saying? Well, everything that his father and grandfather had done, he destroys. Notice this. He even disposed. Get this. You want a family fight. Check this out. He even disposed his grandmother, Micah, for her position as queen mother because she had made an repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asherah was a god that was focused on fertility. Talked about high places. They would find big, big shady trees, and they would build these Asherah poles, and it was a place of sexual worship. Isn't that a fast way to grow a church, right? 
I mean, you get to go, you mean I get, I get to do that at church? Oh, yeah, I like that church. That's, that's a good church. Well, they're all over the place. He gets rid of them. He cuts it down, and he burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. Here's what I want to say to you. It is on you to be an Asa type. In small ways and in major ways. If you're waiting, okay, now catch this. If you're waiting for Hillary or Bernie or Ben or Donald or Carly to come in and change the cultural tide of spiritual things in this nation before you stand up and say, oh, I will be a spiritually minded person, you're never going to stand. If you're, I'm telling you, if you're waiting on somebody else in power or in prestige to lead the way spiritually, you never will. You will always sit on your spiritual bottom waiting for somebody else to lead. These guys were kings. We don't have a king. Do you know who the king is? You. You're the own king of your kingdom. You get to set the rule. You get to set the agenda. You get to decide what happens in your little kingdom, whether it's small or whether it's large. It's you. And if you're waiting on anyone else to come in and give you permission to spiritually lead, you never will. So there comes a time where you have to be bold. And you may not know a little. You may know a lot. But you just simply stand and say, you know what? The best I'm going to do, I'm going to be an ace of type. It's in small ways. I'll give you a small one. It's at your dinner table this week. You and your family are sitting around the dinner table. Somebody's going to have to be bold, unless this is already a common practice. But somebody's going to have to be bold. Maybe it's just you at the dinner table. But before you take that first bite of food, somebody needs to say, hey, time out, pause. How about before we eat our food, we simply give God grace, give God thanks for the food that we have? Y'all, that's, listen, just stand, you're going to have to be bold because everything in your head is going to say, oh, you don't need to do that. It just doesn't matter. No, it matters. It matters for my family. I'll tell you what we do. We gather around the table and we hold hands. My twin six-year-old girls, my son Luke, and my wife Jen. Not because we're super spiritual. Because this way keeps my kids from eating while we pray. I'm just being honest. right? It's funny, but that's what we have to do. And we hold little hands and they, they call who gets to pray first. It's a glorious fight. right? I'm telling you. But yet we're teaching our kids how to pray. They pray for you, Rachel right? They pray for other people that we remind who are struggling in different things, and we just pray. But listen, you're going to, this week, if you don't do that, you're going to have to be bold and say, you know what? I'm going to choose to do this. It doesn't matter how old or how young your family is. It's simply taking a stand. You're going to have that opportunity in cohorts that you lead, in learning communities that you're in, in business opportunities, in friendship opportunities. Like, there's going to be a time, I promise you, you guys who go out with your friends, and I'm not against going out with your friends. I think that's great. But there comes a time when your friends are going to cross the line that you know in your heart and your mind you can't cross. And too often you've crossed the line with them because you don't want to be an ace of type. It's time that you've got to stand up and go, hey, listen, I'm not going with you. I can't do that. I'm telling you, ask Pete. Our worship, ask his beautiful wife, Alyssa. They had to make car decisions as they grew up in the Lord. Ask me. Ask anybody who's walking with Jesus. There comes a time where you just have to say, you know what? I'm going to stand for what I can't wait on somebody else to give me permission to do it. I'm simply going to stand. And it could be the littlest things or the biggest of things. But if you're waiting, if you're waiting for me to come knock on your door and open and go, have you prayed yet? It ain't going to happen. Husbands. For you to take the courage, and or wives, it doesn't have to be necessarily the husbands, but just to initiate prayer at night before you go to bed. Or when you hear that your spouse is struggling or your child is struggling, instead of walking back to your room going, man, I really wish they'd be okay. No, go back to the room and say, can I pray for you? When your little one wakes up with a bad dream, not just, honey, go back to bed, but to pray over your child that God would protect them and care for their little mind. They would have a peaceful night's sleep. 
There's a million ways to do this. But it's just simply saying, you know what, I'm going to stand for what I see the Scripture saying in my life. And if you say, I don't know, then listen, you're at the great place because we're going to do our best to walk with you and to teach you. But if you walk around with a bronze shield acting like you've got it all together, we can't help. We can't help. But if you'll lower that shield and say, you know what? You may think I'm perfect. By the way, we don't. But you may think I'm perfect, but I could really use some help in this area. I'm telling you, what you will find is not somebody that laughs in your face and points out all your flaws, but somebody that cares for you a great deal. Here's how I want to end tonight, the teaching portion. I ask that you would just simply bow your head and close your eyes, not because it's super spiritual, but I don't want you to be uh, manipulated to do something that other people might do. So if you would, just bow your head right where you sit. And before you do this, I want you to think on it. So please don't just rush to this conclusion. But if you're here tonight and you say, you know what, Matt? I will choose to be a type of Asa in my family and in my other context in life. I just ask you to stand right where you're right where you're sitting. Just to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to be a type of Asa. I'm going to do that. It's going to be hard. And as you stand, I want you to know, there's going to be times when your legs hurt so bad because you just haven't had the water. And you're going to try to talk yourself out of this commitment. You're going to try to talk yourself out of, well, man, I know I stood, but you don't understand. No, 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 listen, I do understand. And it doesn't matter. Well, you still stand for the things of God. Father, I pray for those who are standing to give us courage. I join them to give us courage and to give us faith that we will not relent. We will not stop. It's not about being mean and it's not about being hateful at all. It is about looking like your son Jesus in love and in focus. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.